This is the Criterion Creeps Podcast. I'm Jared Duncan. RJ Baylock. And we're two fools who have no other choice now but to creep our way through the Criterion Collection one spy number at a time in order of release. We do it so you don't have to. We are chasing that Criterion rainbow. This week, we're talking about spine number seven uh, of the Criterion Collection, and that is A Night to Remember, directed by Roy Roy... Jesus, his name gives me nothing but problems. Roro. Directed by Roy Ward Baker from 1958. But first, how are you, RJ? Uh, not too fucking bad. Not too fucking bad. Nice. Um, there was a rib fest in the city. The first ever rib fest in our city this weekend. So I went there and I, I really kind of laid it all out there for people to see how big of a just a tub of shit i am <laughs> sampling all the different ribs and sauces whoa so, so like what kind of talk about the highlights in the ribs um well the ribs were fine they weren't the best i've ever had if anyone is wondering the best ribs i i've personally ever had uh was the twin anchors in chicago illinois which also had a scene in one of my favorite movies the dark knight by chris nolan the scene where Harvey Dent goes in for uh, Wurtz, the bad cop who uh, sold him out, that was filmed in that bar. Mm-hmm. So maybe that was why I liked the ribs so much. <laughs> and now I'm not even talking about the rib fest. Um, no, the ribs were pretty good. There was four different vendors. Uh, I don't even know where they were from. Like a lot of them, one said like authentic deep south ribs, but then it also said had like Calgary on it a lot. So I don't think Calgary, Alberta is the deep south. Nope. I, not even the deep south of, like, Canada. Yeah. So I don't really know what that means, but the ribs were all right. They were pretty okay. No. The highlight, though, there was a, there was one guy who actually was more of a fat piece of shit than me. He was, he was, <laughs> he was walking around to each of the booths with a dirty old plastic fork, <laughs> and he was just, he was just like squirting barbecue sauce on each of them, oh. and he was trying them, and he was like, oh yeah, it's good sauce, it's good sauce. Did he did so he had his own sauce? Well, well, he had a fork, a plastic fork, and he was going to every, he was going to every vendor and trying their sauces. Well, okay, okay. And uh, so that was that was probably the highlight of the the weekend, I guess. Huh. There was a pulled pork eating contest, but uh, I regretfully was unable to join. I don't know what the rules were, but they got one look at me and they told me to get out, so. ship out, <laughs> ship out. So that's my life. How about you, man? How are you doing? Oh, I, it, this uh, this weekend has just been a blur. I, I there's been no highlights no low lights it's just i've simply existed it seems for a number of days um yeah i mean i mean it's mostly comes down to like movies that i've been creeping on um Mm -hmm. which i guess uh would be the perfect transition to ask you what have you been uh, able to creep on uh well not a whole lot Uh, it's two weeks running now that i'm a disappointed disappointment for you but i do have a couple things to talk about so i'll be i'll be quick especially since uh i know you were hard creeping you were being a a potato and seemed like you were burning through some of the classics so Mm -hmm. um what was i creeping on uh oh i watched some tv creeping i did some tv creeping i watched uh season two of broadchurch have you ever seen this show 
Uh, no, I've not watched it, but I have heard of it. It's the show that's got David Tennant. Yeah, David yeah. Tennant from uh, Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire fame. Mm-hmm. Everyone knows him from that, right? You yeah. know, Barty Crouch <laughs> Jr. Hmm. Uh, there, some people will get that. Uh, anyway, so season one was, um, I thought it was really fucking good. It was a pretty solid show. It was like a murder mystery. So David Tennant's character was like... Uh, like a hot shot detective from a big city, but then he blew like a really big case that was like kind of open and shut. So he gets sent to this little town called Broadchurch. And the day he gets sent there, like a 13 year old boy get, uh, is found dead, like on the bluffs by the ocean. Mm-hmm. So the whole season one is just like a murder mystery. And it's like the town's got all sorts. Oh, suspect lost you there. Oh, Am I back? Yeah. Okay. I guess my computer doesn't like Broadchurch. No. Did uh, I get cut off? Yeah, I just kind of went like you were. Like, the video was still there, but I just couldn't hear what you were actually saying there for okay. like three, four seconds. Okay. So yeah, everyone in the town's a suspect. Everyone's got secrets. I thought the first season was really good. Like it's a, it's got like really good cinematography of just like. Uh, like I said, the bluffs and plains and small cottages and like a small town in the United Kingdom. Uh, and the season one ends and it kind of like wraps everything up nicely. So I remember when I heard there was going to be season two, I was kind of curious as to why. Right. And also, I don't know if you know this, but like, so season one was so popular. There was an American remake that also starred David Tennant but with just a normal American accent. So because us Westerners are super lazy, we can't enjoy things that have like even the slightest hint of a non like American English voice. Right. So they did like a shot for shot remake with uh, Anna Gunn and like Nick Nolte and David Tennant. And uh, it did really bad. Like I think it got canceled like like they filmed the whole season. But I think like after three, four episodes, I think they might have even just pulled it. Because maybe they caught on. It was like, yeah, there's the show already exists. It came out like six months ago. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, so season one gets wrapped up nice. And then season two is about like the trial of the murderer. And it's kind of weird. Like it seems really unnecessary. It's half of the seasons of that. And then it's like the other half is David Tennant with that case that he like messed up before he came there. It's like shows that kind of, right. Um, season two is okay. It was kind of like soap opera. Like it seemed like they were kind of pulling at strings at like just to make more to cash in on that initial success. Um, so I don't know. Season one's a, a solid recommendation. Yeah. But season but, uh, two I'd is say, thumbs in the middle. <laughs> I, I would say thumbs in the middle. Like if you if you go through season one and you're really digging it, then conveniently enough, it's all on Netflix, so you could just burn straight through season two at the same time. But uh, good um, old Netflix. Season one was good, and then I have one other little creep for you. Yeah. I uh, I sat in with the misses while she was watching a Rob Reiner film, uh, and that film that I can guarantee you've never heard of was called Flipped. And it came out in like 2002, I think. Okay. I'm not gonna check. I don't care. Um, <laughs> hey, Jared, do you fa- uh, do you dream of simpler times? 
Yes. Do you dream of milkshakes, soda pop, and white picket fences? Yes. Do you wish you lived in a world where old men could befriend young women or young girl girls and it wouldn't be frowned upon or chastised? I thought we did live in that world. <laughs> well, if that's the case, Jarrett, I'm going to ignore you. Uh, you might <laughs> love Flipped. Uh, Flipped is a Rob Reiner movie about um, two kids that are across the street neighbors, a little girl and a little boy who meet when they're like seven and then it flash forwards to when they're 13 and it's like it shows how they like eventually find out that they're in love with each other. Mm -hmm. So it's like a homage to 1950s stuff. It was okay. It's not great. I think it's just Rob Reiner like pulling at strings that he used to do. So he's just really set in that time era. Um, it had some stuff like it showed like it would show a scene through like the boy's point of view and then it would show it again, but through the girl's point of view. So that's like how it's flipped. Wow. Flipped. So it just go back and forth and that was the whole movie. It was okay. It's not great. Like, I don't know if you want to throw a movie on while, like, while you're doing something else like cooking or cleaning or something and you just need background noise, it'd probably be good for that. Yeah. That, uh, that bald guy from ER, do you know that? You know the guy I'm talking about? <laughs> the bald doctor from ER. Okay. He was in it and he was like the, the kid's dad and he was like just a super asshole but like in a way that doesn't even make sense. Like the kid would be like, oh, the the uh, neighbors across the street gave us some eggs from their chickens. And he's like, you're fucking an idiot. You're a dumb kid and I wish you weren't born. And those eggs have salmonella. And like that would be the whole scene. And it just happened like – Anytime he was on screen, he was like, I fucking hate you. Okay, so you're, so. you're, so you're talking about Anthony Edwards. Okay, yeah. Yeah, of, of, so, uh, of Top Gun fame. Top Gun? Yeah. <laughs> I remember him from Bald Doctor from ER. Yeah. And, so, uh, oh, and, and the movie uh, Flipped you're talking about is from 2010. Oh, well, it's totally uh, indistinguishable from 2010, 2004. So what you're saying is it's timeless. Know. It's timeless. It's a timeless classic. Uh, yeah, so that's my hard recommend. If you uh, want to put something on that you don't actually have to watch, then uh, maybe give Rob Reiner a shot. <laughs> There's no shortage of those type of films, uh, I, yeah. I don't think. Or maybe there is a shortage, and maybe uh, Flipped is necessary, like to have running in the background as uh, you do other tasks. I guess, because, I mean, I wouldn't want to put a good movie on while I was doing stuff, you know? Yeah, yeah, that's so. true enough. That's it. What have you been creeping on, oh, cowboy? Oh, boy. Well, I got all aboard the Shatner train. What that means is I've been uh, on board uh, watching films uh, from Canadian sex icon William Shatner. Uh, oh, yeah. Going back to through the early 60s when he really, uh, really took off, kind of that pre-Star Trek era. Uh, mm -hmm. That kicked off with a little film called The Intruder, uh, directed by Roger Corman. And uh, I think it was made in 61, released in 62. And that movie, boy, it's like, hey, RJ, do you like movies where people just casually drop N-bombs left and right? Yeah, that's one of my favorite genres. Yeah, well, that this is that movie. It, it, I don't know if this is like the movie of that genre, but yeah, it's so it's about... Um, is Bill uh, hot and loose with the uh, the droppings of these uh, yeah, he, racial he, slurs? Yeah, so the, the whole movie comes down to um it's about 
uh, integration in the South and their uh, mm-hmm. the resistance toward that uh, during a period of time when that was actually happening. And so uh, Corbin had his finger on the pulse and decided, let's make a movie about that. And like, mm-hmm. but, but from like sort of like your uh, lost your uh, Californian uh, northeastern mindset, where they're like, what the hell is the problem with treating people like people? Um, so the mm-hmm. movie follows uh, William Shatner. Uh, I believe his character's name is like uh, Adam Kramer. And uh, he is a man from an organization from Washington, D.C., who would see or love to see nothing but uh, black people living in their part of town again and not uh, impacting the lives of white people. And so he go, he's gone down to this like little obscure town uh, to like, fire the people up just as like uh, black students are being uh, placed into uh, white schools and actually abolishing that as a concept. And now it's just school. Um mm-hmm. So you get a lot of uh, weird, strange imagery of uh, William Shatner with burning crosses and riding around in a Cadillac with guys uh, in Ku Klux Klan get-ups. Um, yeah, and you get him uh, seducing women, push or more pushing himself against women and onto women, um, him being very sweaty, uh, Hot scheming. Damn. Yeah. Um, that movie. That sounds super hot. Yeah, so that movie uh, I liked a lot, actually. Uh, it's probably one of the highlights so far, um, but oh, I've I, I not finished The Train. Um, watched a couple of his westerns that he appeared in, uh, mm-hmm. one called The Outrage, which is just a remake uh, from director Martin Ritt of uh, Rashomon, <gasps> but set really? in the old west. Um, yeah. It's not like a particularly great movie, um, it's a, it's a great looking movie. Like the cinematography mm-hmm. and whatnot is like just outstanding. But, um, as an actual movie, there's just like sort of a, uh, it's pretty badly written. It's, it's mm-hmm. that sounds like kind of like the idea of like what old Western letters would sound like to one another, but it's not like exactly how people would converse with one another. Right. Um, Shatner is really not too much in it. He's kind of, a uh, uh, he's a preacher. Uh, it's, it's the whole same oh, setup as Rashomon yeah. too. It's like, it's super rainy. It's at a train station of some, like, it's just like in the middle of nowhere and they're waiting for like the rain to stop and like three characters kind of come together and they start talking about the same event that's just mm-hmm. happened. And, uh, so I mean, it's the, the whole, the Rashomon gimmick is all there with a bandit and a woman and her husband and who someone's dead, but how that person got dead, it's all a matter of, uh, interpretation, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was just an okay movie, not not even bar- barely okay. It's like you could probably skip it entirely. Um, yeah. But so then I followed that up with a movie I'd actually watched for the first time about four years ago called Incubus, um, mm-hmm. and that this is a movie that um, I think it's like it might have been like a a the critic joke or Simpsons or some cartoon made some joke about William Shatner. Um, mm-hmm. Being like doing this movie in Esperanto, um, and then which is like, if people don't know, it's it, it was a created language. Um, it was like kind of this like utopian idea that like, well, the one thing that could like save the world from like further warfare and to abolish uh, nationalism uh, is to create a language that everyone would speak, and that was sure. Esperanto. Um, well. As, as this uh, podcast is still not in Esperanto, I don't know if it's worked out very well. Um, oh. It kind of exists, and it seems like it's like a, 
I don't know. <laughs> like it's the, the, the a hipster genre within linguistics probably. <laughs> but mm-hmm. so anyway, this movie, um, it's directed by Leslie Stevens, who is the creator of The Outer Limits. And I oh, guess cool. uh, after Outer Limits got canceled, he was like, well, damn it, I want to still make stuff. And so um, they were going to make this uh, kind of like American folk story based on nothing like in history, like it's just completely made up from scratch. So it has this sort of like mm-hmm. European folklore vibe to it while it has no reference point um, per se. But the movie follows um, uh, these sort of uh, succubi, sort of like demon people that are mm-hmm. just like around and just luring poor saps to their deaths, drowning them in the water or just like undermining God's work for the, in the name of their God of darkness. And, um, the, right. in the, the one lead character, Kaya, she, uh, she set her eyes now up on, uh, old Bill Shatner, um, hmm. the Shatman, uh, who Shatman. plays a, uh, a good man, um, who's a recently returned soldier. And the whole idea is that she's going to try to tempt this guy. Um, and of course, the one lead demoness woman, she kind of uh, warns uh, the the younger demoness that this is a really bad idea because he's actually a good person and that he might actually have more of a, an impact on her. And mm-hmm. so she uh, ignore this advice. But uh, yeah, the movie just has this like I would describe it as something between a like Ingmar Bergman's The Virgin Spring. Um, mm-hmm. I can't. Remember, I think it's. Uh, the guy who directed the movie, there's a movie called Night Tides with Dennis Hopper, where it's got this weird kind of like, also like a made up fairy tale kind of story to it, but it's like kind of contemporarily shot and set um, mm-hmm. about like a man who might've fallen in love with a mermaid. <laughs> um, yeah. And splash? what was it? Splash? <laughs> Not splash. Oh. <laughs> um, okay. But uh, it's cross between those type of things. It's just like, I don't know, the cinematography is great. Like, it looks, mm-hmm. like, super fantastic. It's shot in, like, Southern California. Um, and I guess, like, the whole reason they shot this movie in Esperanto is the director kind of had this, like, idea that, like, well, there's all these people who are going to be speaking Esperanto in no time. I guess uh, it would be best right. to, like, make this movie so it can get more sales because there's only, like, this is, like, the second movie to be made in Esperanto. And all these guys who are going to be talking it, they're going to be wanting to watch movies too, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. But that didn't happen. Um, so this, so yeah, describing this, it's like, yeah, somewhere between like Virgin Spring, um, the, re- the recently released, the witch, uh, that mm-hmm. night tides movie I mentioned and like the outer limits. Um, mm-hmm. and it's got some like really great, uh, practical effects, like sort of like this man bat like creature in the trees that you never really get to see, but it's like, Oh, pretty, that sounds cool. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Uh, it's all backlit in sort of the tr- woods and stuff like that. Um, mm-hmm. and then there's like this, um, like the witch thing. It's like, because it's kind of like a folklore kind of story. Um, in particular, this black goat kind of plays into the, uh, movie at some point. And of course I'm like, Oh yeah. What, whatever that black Peter black thing Phillip. is. Black Phillip. That's it. Black that, Phillip. that all, yeah. that all the kids are uh, all about with that yeah. witch movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, oh, that sounds super cool, man. Yeah, and so like the movie was considered lost for like 30 years or so after it came out, and then they finally found a copy of it in 1996 in Paris. So the only way to watch the movie is um, Dark Sky Films. They put it out on uh, DVD, but they had to like, ugh, it's really unfortunate. They had to put this like giant black labeling of English subtitles over the burnt in French subtitles. So you get these Ooh. really like invasive subtitles over top of the images. And it's like mm-hmm. only a, the movie was shot in full frame. So 
you're losing a lot of space. And so it's kind of a compromised viewing, no matter how you watch it at this point, but it's right. better than nothing. Cause I don't think there's anything better coming along. Cause, uh, this movie is surprisingly obscure, uh, considering it's like a horror movie of William Shatner, but, um, yeah, I've never heard about it, but it sounds fucking wicked. Yeah, I yeah, I really like it a lot. Um, I'm surprised yeah. that like on a Letterbox, there's a lot of the um, the horror minded people that I follow on there that watch like it seems like three four movies a day kind of thing. Like none of them have watched it, and I'm like, wow. Mm. I think I think if uh, the right, these people see it, they'll uh, they'll love them and they'll talk it up, and which means more people are going to watch it. So mm-hmm. I'm hoping that happens. You know what we got to do is before it catches on, we'll have to get our uh, Esperado podcast going mm-hmm. where we only film or we only talk about films uh, and books and other mediums written in Desperado language. Yeah, yeah, in Desperado. <laughs> With an- Antonio Banderas invented that, right? Right. Or was uh, the, yeah, no, and not Robert Rodriguez, Antonio Banderas. Yeah, yeah, you had okay. it right. Yeah. Okay. Hundred percent. I'm good. I'm um, good. and then like yeah, the the last thing I watched for the Shatner uh, train uh, so far has, was White Comanche, uh, oh, which no. is a uh, a spaghetti western uh, where old Bill Shatner he plays dual roles of um, of uh, a uh, I guess he's 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 Native American or half half a Comanche, um, and he's got a twin brother. And one wants to embrace the white man's world and live a good life. And the 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 evil brother, he wants to uh, be a evil badass going around raping women, um, bringing his. Is that is that the Comanche way? Uh, that is his way. And then okay. he kind of is like. Uh, because he's like the strongest and most psychotic, he's kind of become the leader of this particular tribe. Sure. Um, and so the only difference between the two of them is uh, uh, Bill really uh, embraces the uh, war paint look, and he apparently mm-hmm. has really like black eyes. And oh. uh, yeah, the movie's got Joseph Cotton in it, who plays the sheriff of a town where uh, William Shatner and William Shatner are going to face off and fight to the death. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not a pretty good movie <laughs> i uh, i'll leave it yeah, at that like it. yeah it's like there's a reason why no one talks about that one mm-hmm. um maybe it's maybe because of the uh reputation that movie has people just figure ah incubus is probably no good either but mm-hmm. that's not the case um but yeah i've do got you think, f- oh. sorry uh do you think if uh white comanche starred starred chuck bronson do you think it would have been better uh probably because um, he fits in with a lot you know of those what? Western. He, he'd have types. a yeah. Well, I mean, I started thinking back to all your uh, your uh, half Indian characters that like uh, mm-hmm. Paul Newman's played. Oh, I didn't mention yeah. that in the outrage. Uh, yeah, Paul Newman Browns up and plays a Mexican. Oh God, old, uh, Charlton Heston style, and he does, and he talks like a Mexican man. Man, it's pretty bad. Uh, that was awesome. But yeah, so he he plays a uh, half Indian in uh, Ombre. Mm-hmm. And then Tr- Chuck Bronson, he plays his fair share of uh, uh, oh, yeah. full blood and half blood uh, natives, in his, uh, including uh, the film you watched uh, not that long ago, Chato's Land. Chato's Land. Yep. And uh, yeah, then William Shatner just falls into that great lineage. But uh, I don't even know if uh, Charles Bronson could have uh, gotten past the kind of like clinkiness and boringness of uh, White Comanche. It's just mm. nothing, nothing really worth recommending on that front. 
Oh, well, that's um, too bad. But so yeah, there ends my uh, discussion of William Shatner this week. But it will continue this week. Ne- next week, we'll get uh, maybe even the conclusion. There's not that many left that I really want to watch. But okay. uh, I also watched this really good prison movie called Short Eyes from 1977. Um, mm-hmm. That is a movie that I had not really heard of before, and I kind of saw someone put it on a like uh, prison list. Uh, like this movie mm-hmm. list of movies in prison and I was like short eyes I'm like I think I've seen that before because um, there's a the one DVD company Scorpion releasing they put that out and um, I just kind of looked at the cover it's kind of like a nondescript not, nothing memorable cover it's just like a hand with a straight razor and it's just called short eyes and I believe like the tagline is something like Jesus help me because man won't and I was just like well whatever I don't know what that movie yeah. is but then I realized oh it's a prison movie and then I read about what it is and I will tell you um, it is a young man who is charged with child molestation is placed in New York City's infamous Tombs prison when the other mm. inmates in his cell block find out what he is charged with life becomes extremely difficult for him <laughs> is it a romantic comedy uh no no definitely i wouldn't i wouldn't call it that you know what it does have though it has the on-screen debut of louise guzman (gasps) which i did not know going in it was just like watching the Mm -hmm. movie and then suddenly i look and it's like that guy looks a lot like louise guzman and i was watching some friends and we laughed and then it's like huh well i wonder if that is him because like well Mm -hmm. maybe it's another like kind of like pug-nosed man <laughs> that mm-hmm. just look, looks exactly like him. And sure enough, it actually was him, and it was his first movie. Um, so, yeah, the movie's based on a play. And uh, so it has, like, a, a, a the feeling of, like, two guys talking on a stage kind of throughout. But it, it is all shot, I guess, on location of the um, this particular, like, um, municipal jail in uh, mm-hmm. New York City called, like, that. its name was the Tombs Prison. And essentially what it is is... Um, it's a it's an apartment building that like on the from the outside that's what it looks like but in, inside it is like a full functioning jail but it's all vertical um right. and so each floor is its own uh section and like so so you could have like a uh, part of it could be like three floors because it's stacked and then there's just different right. units but um yeah like it's like a really well done uh movie from the 70s like i'm a sucker for like that 70s aesthetic that just like emerges Mm -hmm. like not because maybe like the directors were aware of it but just that's how movies were shot and i just like really loved that look um the guy who directed it robert m young let me just take a look and see what else he's done because i uh didn't really it didn't occur to me to take a look um hey while you're looking up that i got a question for you if this was like an actual prison where did they put all the prisoners when they were filming Oh, did they I, just stuff him in a closet? I think it was a part of when they were transitioning out. Oh, okay. so I think it was maybe. I think I could be totally just making up that, but I think they're like it's possible. Like that, transition lenses. Yeah, like transition lenses. Yeah, like when they get all dark when you come into a cold building, just like that. Okay, okay, <laughs> yeah. makes sense. But um, anyway, so the movie start like one of the the well, our uh, young man charged with child molestation is played by Bruce Davison, who you might best remember as the president from X Men and X Two. Oh um, no, not him. Yeah. Um. So old poor Bruce Davison. Um. He has a rough time of it in the in the, in the joint, and uh, mm-hmm. but boy, they give him the monologue of all monologues, where time stops and you just are letting. He's just talking and he's telling a story, and you can't believe what you're hearing. And yeah, it that's like, 
you, you don't see that too often in movies. I'll, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll give it that. But yeah, the movie's got a good vibe. It's got Curtis Mayfield. The, oh, cool. Uh, yeah, he did the score, some of the music, and he actually uh, gets to play a, a cameo kind of in the movie. Hmm. Um, but yeah, like not like there's a bunch of like kind of character actors that I think I've seen in other stuff uh, that's mm-hmm. probably also set in New York. Um, hey, can can I interrupt you for a second? What? I hate the term character actors. Yeah. I just want to, I just want to make that clear with you. Okay. Um, I just, and for anyone out there listening, cause what is the definition of a character actor? Someone who like immerses into a character. So character, like act- specific characters. Yeah. So my understanding, and this is kind of where it gets, uh, I, I remember it from a, uh, a film or a, an acting textbook I had in my first year of university and like 15 mm-hmm. years ago. And so like, there's like the type of actor that's like a, um, like a personality actor, like a, mm-hmm. a Gene Hackman. And then there are like the character actors who are kind of the people who kind of blur into the background. It's not like mm-hmm. they're, they're not extras, but they're kind of like hired for like particular tasks and they play certain types okay. of roles. Um, it's it's like it's kind of it's sort of a weird thing because it seems interchangeable to me because more often than not, like you're like latter day Gene Hackman. He was hired to basically be a character actor. Like he's always Gene okay. Hackman, um, yeah. to, so, or, or Al Pacino. But it's sort of like a stranger thing. It's like uh, it's a classist sort of way of thinking about actors. Mm-hmm. Like so, like I think. My problem with that is I feel like the term has been polluted now or something because I always hear people like talk about like specific actors that are like character actors that can like just like dissolve into their role or whatever. And it's just when I hear that, I think, isn't that what all actors are supposed to be like? Like if you can't (laughs) do that, aren't you just a bad actor? Like if you can't take on like very distinct and like different roles and just like become that character, is that not what acting is? Man, those are those are the that's the big question. The hard questions. Well, yeah. maybe we could get like Luis Guzman on here, and he could tell us for real what it means to be a character actor and how that's different from just being, you know, a good actor. Yeah. So, anyways, anyways that was just the question I had. No, for you. no, you were no talking about- that's good. Um, yeah, because it makes me think about like other weird stuff. Because like there's like the, always like the thing with like method actors and stuff like that too. And yeah, it's like it's different. The same, it's it's, the same shit. Yeah, it's like it's all different schools of like uh, thought. Like, cause like the method actor thing is the like American thing where it, it is like the Al Pacino kind of uh, like the uh, probably and probably also your um, Bill Shatner's as a matter of fact um, that the, that it's, it can go into ham territory uh, and it's a fine line and then you, you go over it and then you just keep uh, chewing that scenery mm-hmm. um, <laughs> yeah right. uh, anyways you were talking about anyways, character actors in prison yeah so we just loaded up with them um, and they all have such great looks there's like I love that movies had like uh, I guess you could call unattractive people in them. Um, yeah. They just had like a I don't know a legitimacy to them, uh, mm-hmm. or there's something distinctive or stand out about particular people. Whereas I mean the problem I have with like a lot of uh, modern movies is like I'll see the same actresses and actors who are all very pretty um, mm-hmm. walking around and I couldn't tell you who they are until they actually mm-hmm. do something that distinguishes them as like someone worth talking about. I just don't know who they are. I don't know what they do. Um, You're talking about the Ron Perlmans of the world, right? Yeah, yeah. He's just, well, I don't even know who that is by my definition. He's just, yeah. who is that too guy? Too pretty. He's too pretty. 
Mm-hmm. Um, well, yeah. So anyway, Short Eyes is a recommendation if you like prison movies and seventies movies. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And then, yeah, uh, the, the last few evenings uh, since September started, since fall kind of rolled in, I've been mm-hmm. revisiting some horror classics. What would you define as the classics? Well, uh, what I've been watching here has been some Texas Chainsaw Massacre, some mm-hmm. The Evil Dead, uh, mm-hmm. Henry, Portrait of a Serial Killer. Uh, mm-hmm. Sunday Afternoon was a little Night of the Living Dead. Um, All right. Because like, the reason why I was watching a lot of these is it's been like several years uh, since I've actually mm-hmm. watched a lot of them. Like, I think Night of the Living Dead I did probably watch about four years ago, but like Texas Chainsaw, I haven't watched it like its entirety for at least five, six years. So I thought uh, mm-hmm. watching them was overdue. Uh, and then I rewatched uh, Hellraiser, which mm-hmm. um, I had not seen in a really long time. Um, and I'd seen it maybe th- two, three, four times. And I remember like every single time I've watched this movie, I like it more than I did the last time. Cause like, I think the first mm-hmm. time I watched it, I was a bit let down, but every time I go yeah. back to it, I like it a little bit more and I like it a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And I watched it just last night. And RJ, let me tell you, I really love that movie. I'm, I've <laughs> come, I've come full around full on that circle? movie. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, it's that- just good. <laughs> that's that's really good to hear because uh, I actually have that in uh, my Creeptober list, uh, my uh, October viewing of horror pleasures. Um, I've never seen Hellraiser, and uh, that's one like franchise that because um, like as long as I can remember being like a little kid, like I'm same with you, same I'm sure with a lot of people listening. Like I've always been loved like Halloween stuff and horror movies and. Like, whatever. Eat it up. You get it. But uh, the one franchise I was always, like, intimidated to watch mm-hmm. was the Hellraiser series. Because all I can remember is, like, going to, like, Blockbuster or, like, home video. Yes. And then you would you would just see the cover. And it was yeah. just, like, Pinhead on there. And it just yeah. it scared the living shit out of me. Like, and I, I'm 26 years old now. And I still was... I've never seen it because I've been too intimidated. However, last year I uh, audio booked. Um, I went through a Clive Barker phase at work, and I I just devoured a ton of his stuff. And I did the Hellbound Heart, which is the Hellraiser book. And I remember going through it, and I was I was like, this is fucking really good. Like, because one, he's just a super good writer, and the story is good. But it wasn't as like gruesome as I always thought it was. Right. And plus. You've in the last couple of years, you've turned me into a ghoulish creep with films like Martyrs and Cannibal <laughs> Holocaust. So that's what um, I do. I I imagine that um, it's not gonna destroy my world as much as I once thought it would. But yeah, anyways, no. <laughs> my my whole side ramble is that is uh, absolutely the one franchise I've always been like too intimidated to watch, but. Uh, now I'm ready for it, man. And yes. uh, it's going to creep up here before you know it, and I'm going to devour them. Did you watch the second one right after? That is what I'll be watching next, probably t- later tonight. I've heard, and it might have been you who told me that, but I think, what did you say, one and two is like one just like seamless movie if you watch Pretty them together. Pretty much, yeah. Um, and like I think what uh, you maybe were getting at there was that I was of the opinion that I think I like Hellraiser 2 actually, or Hellbound Hellraiser 2. I think I might mm-hmm. even like it a little bit more than one. Um, but my opinion of that might change because uh, I really, really liked one this time around. And right. um, there's like what I really – I watched Hellraiser 2 for the first time just a few years ago, and there's some amazing, amazing visuals in it. 
that mm-hmm. I still like think back to when I think of that movie. Um, it's like re- it's a lot more ambitious than any sequel usually is. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, no. See, I, I have this like terrible idea. Uh, running alongside my Shatner train is watching so- is doing something that is probably more terrifying than uh, watching a Hellraiser movie, and that's watching all the Hellraiser movies. I I was just gonna ask if you'd seen all of them. Because what am, is there nine? Uh Eight? yeah, there's I think nine now. Um, okay. Yeah, no, that's uh, that's on the docket. Um, I've heard the last couple are you're treading mm, into some pretty deep shit territory because they just they were making them to hold the rights. Yes. Yeah, they're not even real movies. They're just stuff people filmed on like a weekend to retain the rights. They, I think like yeah, my understanding is that they really move away from the um, the mythology that like Barker kind mm-hmm. of had set up, and I mean. There was like um, back in the '90s. There was like a the, the Hellraiser comics that came out, which were uh, they had like some really cool people working on them, like uh, mm-hmm. like Kelly Jones, like Hellraiser <gasps> covers, and uh, some Mike Mignola uh, like comics that he would draw. Right on. And, and they're like, oh, I, I have the collections of them. I think they were like mm-hmm. called Hellraiser Masterpiece or something like that, or Masterworks. Um, right and they're like, yeah, there's like there's like hit and miss, but there's like such a like uh, a fertile world to explore because it's so open ended. Because mm-hmm. I mean, once you get past that. Um, the lamentation device, whatever those things are called. The, the, the Lamont cube. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Once you get past, once you set that up, you, it's just like, you do whatever you want with that story and go with it. Yeah. Um, and even like there was a uh, recent, I think boom studios, the one comic publisher, they were putting out Hellraiser comics. And I was, mm-hmm. I was, I checked those out randomly just cause I'll always tr- maybe try a horror comic to see if one actually comes along. That's any good. Uh, more often than not, they're not, but uh, they were like, not bad. They were like mm-hmm. pretty in the spirit of like that, like Clive Barker Hellraiser stuff. Right. Um, I was a fan. Well, that's pretty cool. I heard. I don't know if this is was real or if it's actually still happening, but I remember hearing that like after that last Hellraiser movie was like a huge failure. Yeah. They they got Clive Barker to come back, and is it Doug Bradley uh, who who's Pinhead? Yes. Okay, so like they supposedly are coming back but i think i heard that like mm. at least two years ago so i i doubt it's yeah i think it's all in um is it, i think dimension films or like Lionsgate. someone has the rights to them and they're the ones that mm-hmm. kind of just like they're like they just hold on to it because it's well it's an investment and whatnot um i mean i'm really jealous that uh uh, uh arrow uh video uk they put out a like complete hellraiser collection uh mm-hmm. last year or so it was a super it was limited edition box set it was of course only region two and region the time, two. yeah and of course at the time i didn't really uh i didn't have a region free blu-ray player yet now like i'm always like leery about that stuff because it's like well it's all well and good as long as you have a player but then if it breaks down and then you want to actually watch these movies you have to buy another one and who knows mm-hmm. how long this stuff will be readily available to buy the players right. i mean so it's always like eh, i'm always leery about it and plus it's like well, wait like two over two-thirds of those hellraiser movies are not very good anyway <laughs> or have allegedly not very good i'm gonna find out myself guys um yeah spoiler is that on your creeped over list this coming up year yeah it actually just might be my uh september slaughter uh list (laughs) i mean we'll we'll think of a catchy name for slot timber yeah i mean like i mean with all this horror talk too i don't know if one podcast a week was going to be able to uh withstand all this horror talk Mm -hmm. i think the horror stuff might have to go into a separate container altogether Mm -hmm. but more news on that down the road right rj Mm -hmm. 
don't give it all away yet, Wink. buddy. Wink. But if the viewers are interested, you know, let us know. Yes. Our I, I always say viewers, but I don't fic- care. Fictional listeners. Viewers. Fictional listeners. Yeah. My mom, my roommate, your girlfriend, and uh, that Stu from Pizza Hut yeah. are four, uh, yeah. four audience members. How is, how is uh, Stu's uh, connections with the company working out? for us that that piece of shit he's been harassing me emailing i uh i took a little screen grab of that and put it up on uh the creeps uh instagram so if people are interested they can see what that guy's fucking up to and let me tell you it's no good fucking i don't feel safe anymore (laughs) and like that's just the the half and the whole of it you know yeah well that's a new uh expression i just made up well, on that bitter note, uh, RJ, uh, do you have any additions this week to the Great Pyrian collection? Uh, I'm I'm gonna let you go first on you're, this one. Oh, a little see, change up. Well, see, I sense. I, I I know what you're gonna talk about. So. Oh. <laughs> do you uh, want me to talk about? Uh, well, it? you know, I felt bad after you uh, after I sent it to you to for mm-hmm. your perusal, so you were in the no, and then you were like, but but wait, no, I'm like, oh my god, like, oh, geez, maybe we should change it. So I don't know, well, RJ. I, I think maybe I can hand this one off to you since this is uh, in your uh, your uh, quadrology of men. Um, uh, my main men. Yeah, your main men. Let me just say or ask: Do you have additional news? Because I, I have, I have something very stupid I could talk about. So okay, I, I also have two stupid things to talk about afterwards. But anyways, the main news, Jared. Yeah. And this isn't a gripe. This is the farthest from a gripe you could get. This is a grape. This is just <laughs> unbelievable. Uh, the, the, so as you mentioned, uh, it falls in the quadrilogy of my main men. Yeah. And this is the fallen son, Mel Gibson, fallen from grace. Uh, yeah. Apparently. At the Venice Film Festival, like last night, there was the um, the world premiere of his new directorial uh, effort, Hacksaw Ridge, which is uh, about um, a conscientious objector, like a real guy and that uh, an American guy, I think, that um, never held a gun the entire time he was in in war. So, like, he's this big American hero or something but a lot of people don't know a story anyways so that premiered at the venice film festival last night and it had as soon as it finished it had a fucking 10 minute long standing ovation and i am thrilled i am so excited for years and years Jarrett. i have been waiting for the revival of the fallen sun he is back in our good graces and i hope hollywood embraces him and runs with it this is the year he comes back Jarrett. Yeah, uh, with what he should be doing anyways. Like he is an amazing director. He should just direct movies because he's fucking awesome. But I also want to see him in movies too. Like uh, Bloodfather just came out and don't get me wrong or don't get it twisted, girl. I haven't seen it, but it's just because our podunk city hasn't offered it in theaters yet. And I'm not one of them boys that's going to go out there and uh, steal from my main man, Mel, through the internet. So Mm -hmm. I'm waiting until it comes or if it's available on home purchase. But anyways, I heard that was really good. And people are like, hey, you know what we really like seeing? We like seeing Mel kick ass in movies. And then we really like seeing him direct movies because they're fucking awesome. So that's big news, man. What do you... Did you... Well, obviously, yes. But what do you think about this? What do I think news? about this? Um, well, you, I'm always super leery about festival reporting. Like, not because mm-hmm. people are making stuff up, um, but like stories that come out of um, f- uh, film festivals can be very yeah. misleading. Um, because right. I find that, like, I mean, people go to like 
film festivals are sometimes the most enthusiastic people in the world, both like in when they like something and sure. when they hate something. Um, like, uh, what was the uh, the Gus Van Sant movie? That, like, oh, uh, the, sea of trees. Yeah, like apparently people mm-hmm. just like were just brutal and vicious and mean, and like so that reputation now follows that movie wherever it goes. And it's like, mm-hmm. I mean, I had not like much interest in probably seeing that movie because uh, I don't know, I I've, I've really cooled off an old Gus Van Sant, but that's just mm-hmm. the sort of stuff that just like I don't know, it just it seems so unfair. And so sometimes like when you hear this this type of story, it's kind of like, oh, interesting. That sounds good. Maybe I should go see it. But I mean when people are going to go mm-hmm. see this movie and it's kind of like the greatest horror movie of all time, uh, label machine. the hype machines there. And then people will get, mm-hmm. you, you, you then get set up for disappointment. Um, right. so that's always like, I always have that, uh, unease when I read that stuff. Cause I know what the intent of it is, but mm-hmm. at the same time it's like, well, we'll see. Um, well, I was just, you know, uh, I just thought maybe I should go back and check out what is all in the old Mel Gibson filmography. And mm-hmm. I've seen, uh, the only thing I haven't seen of his is the man without a face, right? Um, which I guess mm-hmm. I should do because I've seen the Braveheart. Um, mm-hmm. I did watch the Passion of the Christ, um, yeah. but and I've also seen and I would consider this his uh, greatest accomplishment, Apocalypto. Mm-hmm. Um, I think mm-hmm. that pretty well everyone would agree that that movie is like just great, like just an mm-hmm. awesome action movie. Um, and it doesn't feel like anything else, and it's really its own mm-hmm. thing. Uh, yeah, it's super like him just like I want to do this story, and it's like wicked um mm-hmm. so yeah i mean hacksaw bridge if you think about his like filmography and i mean um whatever unease you might have with the passion of the christ and what that type of thing uh entails mm-hmm. hacksaw ridge probably is going to be really good too because mel mm-hmm. knows how to point a camera uh get the get some work out of his actors and uh get his audiences into his uh thrilling stories mm-hmm. yeah absolutely like like uh, apocalypto and braveheart are just fucking i think those are perfect movies like they're fucking amazing both of them and even like uh passion of the christ like religious connotations is connotation like <laughs> even if you even if you don't like you don't believe that stuff like just watch that movie picture it as a, like a fairy tale and you'll be like man this is a really well put together movie you know yeah. why because mel gibson fucking rules yeah there's the um i think the funniest thing i've ever seen was actually as a result of the uh passion of the christ movie because there's like the mm-hmm. one like uh there's like a vi- video clip circulating about like the like uh the reveal of the antichrist baby <laughs> and it's all oh, in slow sure. motion uh man i watched that so many times that little like evil baby like <laughs> smiling oh. i've never heard of such a thing what i've never heard of this what no it's like it's in the movie there's a oh okay yeah like <laughs> and, the, the devil baby? yeah yeah or, and yeah, like, okay. yeah the baby looks over and slight eyes and smiles sinisterly oh like mm-hmm. that is the my favorite thing because it's so like ham-fisted and cheeseball um but it's like but i totally remember it like it's but like i was gonna say it stuck with you <laughs> yeah but yeah. it's just yeah it's it did stick with me <laughs> but um so did watching well, uh master of disguise for about 15 minutes before uh, i uh boldly went up to the player and went oh oh no it's ejecting itself and then i ejected mm-hmm. it and that was the end uh that movie also it out the window. That, that experience also stuck with me not all experiences well, are created equal well, whatever. I don't yeah. care. <laughs> Mel Gibson rules. Um, maybe, you know, for if people are interested, we can do a, a commentary on the Passion of the Christ. 
when um that reported sequel might come out if it ever does then we'll we'll do a commentary for the passion because i'm sure it'll get a criterion release one day one um day. actually actually i was gonna say too there was one other piece that i glossed or i didn't even mention that is the truly remarkable thing about this hacksaw ridge news yeah the, the picture of the the red carpet at the venice film festival marks it dawns the return of grizzled bearded mel gibson that glorious sexy white and uh, gray beard is back and it is amazing <laughs> so oh do you remember when that like apocalypto trailer came out at the beginning and there was like the single frame of him like posing with like uh some of the actors in that like orange lighting and it's just him with the giant beard and the crazy face do oh yeah re- that's what he looks like now yeah He's back. no it's like yeah, yeah but yeah he emerged uh, if he came up from the other side and it's like, well, I wouldn't have it so any other way. If that's a mark. So like picture this when he made an apocalypto, he grew that beard out. Yeah. And I think it was, he used that raw energy in his directorial efforts. Yeah. So if it's back for this movie, I think that just goes to, it's going to, I think it'll, it shows that this movie has got a lot of potential. Yeah. yeah, sure. I mean, yeah, I mean, I'll probably, watch it at some point <laughs> um, oh we're yeah. gonna go see that fucker yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't have a choice i guess yeah um yeah well my mm. my one bit of news uh that i'll share again this isn't even a gripe this week probably this is more because it amuses me things amuse me um <clears throat> this is a press release um uh-huh. world-renowned wrestler brett the hitman Hart has just <gasps> signed to star in tales from the dead zone Hart will star as private investigator Tom Jenkins, a one-man wrecking crew who doesn't always play by all the rules. We are happy to have Mr. Hart's involvement in our project, says executive producer Len J. Phillips. I wrote the role of Jenkins with Bret Hart in mind, and I am happy he accepted the offer to act in our feature film. Bret Hart is such a fantastic actor, states director Barry J. Gillis. Now, first, RJ, you might ask, why the hell is Jared talking about this? I mean, yeah, you know, Jared, he watches the uh, the fake athletics. He watches the pro wrestling. But, well, but but I don't talk about, like, other wrestlers on this show. Well, the reason I bring this up is because of the director, Barry J. Gillis. So Barry J. Gillis, um, he directed what I guess you would call uh, an infamous film, uh, this Canadian movie called Things. Um, oh! <laughs> yeah! Really? things so because i don't know if you know this rj but did you know that Mm -hmm. barry j gillis is canadian did you know that uh he apparently for the last several years has been working on the oil fields uh and taking that money (laughs) saving it up to make more movies i did not Uh, i did not know either of those things barry uh yeah he is um he's on facebook and he is a uh active poster um he's a really big fan of donald trump last time i uh noticed him uh posting Mm -hmm. um uh, sounds like he's kind of a handful to deal with. Um, but I mean, what, what director isn't a little crazy when they can produce such great works as things. Um, let's see here. Um, tales from the dead zone is about a medical examiner who imagines how victims of a horrible car crash may have lived their lives. Prolific Danish actor, Kim Sonderholm is playing the medical examiner. I look forward to flying to Canada. I hear good things. I also like playing. <laughs> I, also, I, I also like playing this type of tailor-made role, so to speak. The medical examiner's mind is twisted from seeing so much death on the job, so he's got quite a vivid imagination that tends to run wild. Chuckles Sonderholm. 
Also starring in Tales from the Dead Zone is Dakota House, star of the long-running Canadian television series, still in worldwide syndication, North of 60. Rounding out the cast are Len J. Phillips, uh, Madison Neunhuis, Ken Campbell, Maria Parker, Terrence Van Camp, and Holly Ryder. The incredibly talented Corey Feldman makes a special appearance in the movie as well, featuring his bandmates in Corey's Angels. Feldman has just released his new double CD set, Angelic to the Core, which is currently skyrocketing up the Billboard charts. Which which billboards? Which Uh, charts? (laughs) Exactly. Um, Mm -hmm. Tales from the Dead Zone continues shooting in Edmonton, Canada in December and is expected to be ready for distribution in late 2017. So, RJ, are you excited about this news? Are you excited to see Brett the Hitman Hart uh, getting back into some acting? I mean, it's been a several years since he was doing those uh, Humpty's uh, restaurant ads. Oh, oh no. Yeah, since those, uh, those, those days of, uh, mm-hmm. oh, God, I don't even remember the TV shows he was on, but, oh, Brett. <laughs> well, my answer is absolutely. I, I had no idea. And uh, the fact that this is filming in Edmonton, I think the creeps might need to take a road trip and uh, try to try to get on set with these bad boys. Maybe interview uh, Brett, uh, the hitman, as he's called affectionately here in his home province mm-hmm. of Alberta. Uh, Corey Feldman, that would be cool. And uh, that creepy director dude that you're talking about, let's try to get him in there too. Yeah, um, I'm sure he would be absolutely game. Um, I, I'll have yeah. to come around on that myself, but absolutely yeah why not why not i think this is all great news um i really like brett the hitman heart i think he fucking rules i saw him a couple years ago and he looked a little weathered so yep. um i hope i hope this one's got a win in uh for him so good oh, things the, good things. The, the tv show that i could not remember the name of lonesome <laughs> dove oh he, that he, he played a character called luther root he appeared mm-hmm. on two episodes because uh, right. yeah, good old Lonesome Dove was shot here in uh, sunny southern Alberta. Ooh, well, that's yeah. not surprising. Um, yeah. So, um, not too bad at all. Is is that your that's your gripe? That yeah, I guess. It's or not, are you just your it, news report? It, it's more my uh, update, I guess. Okay. My my uh, gripe update. Hitman hard update. So yeah, I just my, actually, you know what? My th- my gripe is that you still haven't watched things. Uh, maybe this Creeptober. Yep. Maybe this uh, Halloween I'll watch it. If you if you slip it in uh, the gigantic stack of movies you're letting me borrow, then yeah. I'll have no choice but to watch it. Sounds good. Um, I have one thing that okay. I, I wanted to mention. It's a little unconventional, but I just saw this, and I think it's it's too provocative not to talk about. Go on. So uh, a friend of mine just sent me um, a direct message on the Twitter yeah, and it was a tweet that R.L. Stein sent out earlier today. And if you're not familiar with R.L. Stein, he's the Crackerjack uh, claimed writer of the Go- uh, Goosebumps uh, franchise, the you know the books to scare kids from the '90s. Mm-hmm. And in this picture, it's of his mom and dad, and the caption is Labor Day. Mom and dad uh, didn't ever get to take any vacations. All they needed was a banana for hours of fun. And if you look at the picture, it's his mom and dad, like a 30-year-old picture, and they have a gigantic banana, and it's in both of their mouths, and they're making the most like obscene gestures and faces. It's the craziest fucking thing I've ever seen. Um, how does this relate to the Criterion Collection? It doesn't. How does this relate to movie news? It doesn't. Well, there was a Goosebumps movie once. They're going to make a sequel. I just, 
if I just want people to go look at this fucking thing that he put out there into the world, and it is absolutely monstrous. Like, you you'll never sleep again. It's cool. the craziest fucking picture I've ever seen. This is on Twitter. Yeah, it's on Twitter. We could maybe like. I think you need to retweet that. Yeah, I'll retweet it yeah. through the uh, the creeps account, or um, yeah. so people can find it on there. But it is fucking monstrous. Huh. So that that's that's just my little quick aside there for a second. As I said, unconventional, but it uh, it was warranted. All right, people need to know. Well, uh, that was uh, suitably unsettling. Um, yeah. And I think that's a great way to take us out. Uh, and let's move on to our main event. Mm-hmm. And that is going to be talking a night to remember by old Rowo Baker, nineteen fifty-eight, and uh, we're going to find out if the night to remember is going to be the iceberg that sinks this podcast. Mm. Finding out after the break. A night to remember, a night when the largest, most luxurious liner of her day was speeding across the North Atlantic on her maiden voyage. No expense had been spared to make this ship a symbol of man's final victory over nature. Her first-class passengers were the very cream of society, the aristocrats from Europe and millionaires homeward bound to America. In the steerage class, everyone enjoyed their own kind of boisterous fun. Then there were the second-class passengers and the crew. 2,208 happy, confident people speeding across a flat, calm sea in a ship that everyone knew was unsinkable. Absolutely unsinkable. The ship was called the Titanic. What did you see? Iceberg, get ahead, sir! Kenneth Moore, 
whose warm, compelling sincerity holds him high in the hearts of cinema goers all over the world as Lightoller, the second officer on a ship whose destruction shook the very foundation of man's progress and marked the end of an era. How many people are there on board? 2,200 or more. And room in the boats for... How many? 1,200. This is the epic drama of the greatest disaster in the history of the sea. Goodbye, my dear son. Here, for the first time, is the story of that night. A night when 2,200 men, women and children were faced with a terrible fact. The fact that most of them were going to die. No work of fiction could ever contain such incredible twists of fate or leave such terrible questions unanswered to haunt the mind. Why did that last ice warning never reach the captain? What happened on the ship that stopped within sight of this struggle with death, but didn't save a single life? No writer of thrillers could ever achieve such agonizing suspense. Sir, sir, what the devil's going? Haven't you learned to knock before you come in here? It's a distress call, sir, from the Titanic. She's sinking. Carpathia, sir. She's making 17 knots and should be with us about 3.30. That'll be too late. And we're back. And we were talking A Night to Remember, 1958 by Roy Ward Baker. And mm-hmm. RJ, it's quite a not too bad night out. But I don't know if we'll remember the night we recorded this. Hey now. Hey. Don't make jokes like that. This is fucking <laughs> serious. So I uh, started watching this movie. And uh, uh, I don't know if you'd seen very many movies with the rank organization um, production production. Uh, trailer with with the the man swinging hitting the gong well uh, my girlfriend Chanel she was uh, watching kind of like in the other room and she kind of heard this and she just like she just kind of went and yelled Mortal Kombat (laughs) that's uh, that's totally appropriate so synopsis time this is a movie about what happens when you make claims that something you've made are unsinkable and then you go out to sea and just a mere few days later, uh, nature goes and proves you wrong. Um, everyone knows the Titanic story, I hope. Um, it's kind of one of the most biggest mo- biggest moments, I guess, uh, it seems in the, tw- in the 20th century, or it should mm-hmm. be. Um they made a movie that uh, made a whole bunch of money about it uh, in 1997. James Cameron directed it called Titanic. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we're all aware of that. But uh, probably a lot less people are aware that in 1958, uh, there was another Titanic movie. And it was called A Night to Remember. And about that fateful evening. Uh, this go around, we don't have Leonardo DiCaprio uh, leading the way to make us care. We get to follow Second Officer Charles Lightoller, uh, among several other passengers, on the ill-fated Titanic voyage across the Atlantic toward North America. Um, so 
for the for the real slow ones in the back seats um i don't know the ship goes out to sea um mm-hmm. due to some human uh, failings uh they go right into an iceberg and scrapes open the hull um Basically, water is going to flood this bad boy, and it's going to sink. There's nothing you can do about it. The real grim side kicks in when they uh, realize that they've got 2,200 people on board, but they can only rescue about mm, 1,500, if that. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, if they're lucky on that front. And they have to now evacuate because they have an hour and a half to do so. Um, Mm -hmm. The one thing that struck me about this movie right away was that it's basically told in real time. Um, yeah, yeah. Which is like, which is like really like, I was like, huh, that's like, they don't, there's no attention really brought to that. Like, um, Mm. like nowadays when movies are told in real time, that's like a big selling feature. Um, but this movie, it's like, no, that's exactly what it is. Like, it's going to be an hour and a half because the movie, uh, the iceberg happens exactly about half hour in. And then for Mm -hmm. like, by an hour and a half in the boat has completely sunk, just like, uh, predicted by the, uh, Mm -hmm. builder of the ship, Mm uh, Mr. Uh, Thomas Andrews. So I'll just add, I actually even made a note of that because they hit the iceberg at 33 minutes because I checked. I was like, whoa, man, this is happening really early. And then in the next scene, the engineer guy, he's like, we have about an hour and a half before the ship sinks. And because yeah. I had just looked that it was 33 minutes, I was like, that's that's literal time. Like the movie is only an hour and a half left. So yeah. I thought that was really cool too. Yeah. No, it's yeah. just like, yeah, it's, it's, there's like a real clockwork uh, kind of nature to the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll talk a little bit about the history of like the film, like the context it came out in. Um, Cause there's like, as sure. far as the actual plot goes, I mean uh, it's, it, it's exactly what happened, which is actually of note. So uh, the mm-hmm. book, the book itself, a night to remember was written by Walter Lord. Um, and he wrote it in 1955. And um I was reading about it and I guess that like the thing that I kind of forgot about because uh, it's been since 1998, early 1998, mm-hmm. when I watched the James Cameron movie. But they had, in 1955, and when this movie was made in 19, or when it was released in 1958, we didn't know where the Titanic was. Um, right. It was just at the bottom of the ocean, and no one knew where it was, because uh, no one was traveling 12,000 feet below uh, sea level to find mm-hmm. this stuff. Um, so, that being mm-hmm. said... Um, the book became a bit of a big seller. Um, I guess in 1953, there was another Titanic movie that had come out called Titanic. Mm-hmm. And that movie had like done a fair, fair job of like kind of stoking people's interest in it because right. I guess like f- this was like 40 years later. Um, and mm-hmm. then, so the idea of like the Titanic kind of was like in the mind's eye kind of distant thing. I mean, I think about that one, like recent tragedy of that, um, ship that like crashed in like kind of the Southeastern ocean. Um, the Andrea Doria. I don't know. <laughs> okay. I, it, 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 the plane crashed and there's like all the, like, all this human life was gone, but like, it's one of those things that like, I don't know if many people remember it. And I feel like maybe the mm-hmm. Titanic kind of wound up kind of in that same thing. It's not until like maybe a movie gets made that it kind of becomes a visualized experience for people. Mm-hmm. Um, right. But so yeah, uh, as far as like film adaptations go, I mean, uh, there was a 1956 NBC television movie uh, directed by George George Roy Hill, uh, narrated by Claude Rains, uh, that aired on uh, it's called Craft Craft Masterpiece Theater, as in like Craft Dinner. Um, sure. Yeah, and so 
uh, I kind of was thinking about like other like Titanic movies I might have seen. And uh, one that I actually watched was earlier this year called, uh, it was actually a Best Picture winner called Cavalcade. Um, the movie's mm-hmm. not about Titanic per se. It's got one little moment in it because the whole movie is about like the history of a family and sort of like living in England and like it's like, uh, experience with like big moments in history and this one particular uh, couple takes their honeymoon and the punchline at the end of it was like oh they're on the Titanic and now they're dead uh, wow, yeah wow. Um, there are a few lost films from like the silent era from like right when the actual events happened like in 1912 there was something that someone had mm-hmm. kind of turned out there's a lot of like fictionalized versions of the story um, mm-hmm. that exists but uh, the one highlight that I'd like to mention uh, is there's actually a Nazi propaganda film from 1943 called Titanic. Um, yeah, so the and, yeah, so it was a Joseph Goebbels uh, production. Uh, the captain of the ship uh, was a German, and mm-hmm. the, the 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 movie posits that the British were evil. Um, they were the villains of the movie. So they deserved it. They deserved it. Yeah. Um, okay. the, the, yeah, the, the film was shot on the, uh, SS Cap Arcona, which afterwards, uh, was accidentally sunk by the Royal Air Force, uh, during World War II. And it okay. resulted in a death toll, uh, of civilian casualties higher than the Titanic sinking. My God. <laughs> yeah. Karma. Um, and in, in fact, four clips from that movie are used in a night to remember. Um, but it's just like scenes like with like ships, like the ship on the water and then like, yeah. um, like some water coming down a passage. They just like use this footage from this like Nazi propaganda film because it was like practical to do. Cause there's a couple moments in this movie too, where there's, um, like some stock footage of the actual launch of the Titanic. That, yeah. That's yeah. what I thought. Which, which yeah. I thought like, yeah, like which I thought was like, oh cool. But I didn't think I'm like, oh, there's some like Nazi film stock in this bad boy. Mm-hmm. Um, fun trivia fact, the, the, uh, the original film director of the, uh, 1943 Nazi Titan. Uh, Herbert mm-hmm. Selpin, he was executed during the making of the film because he was apparently what? he yeah he was accused or spoke out against the Nazi regime. So uh, he was taken off and hung in prison uh, before the film was finished. And so they brought another guy named Werner Klinger in to complete the film. Mm-hmm. So um, is that the same Klinger from Mash? Uh, maybe. Uh, okay. he, he changed sides <laughs> you know, well, for, for the Korean conflict. <laughs> well, they're hanging directors just because they yeah. don't agree with stuff. I mean, you're going to change sides to yeah. whatever suits you better, right? Yeah. Um, so maybe I'll talk a little bit about... Um, so Walter Lord, uh, in from the book, he has this really great passage that I want to share. Um, <laughs> what troubled people especially was not just the tragedy or even its needlessness, but the element of fate in it all. If the Titanic had heeded any of the six ice messages on Sunday, if ice conditions had been normal, if the night had been rough or moonlit, if she had seen the berg 15 seconds sooner or 15 seconds later, if she had hit the ice any other way, if her watertight bulkheads had been one deck higher, if she had carried enough boats, if the Californian just 10 miles away had only come, had any one of these ifs turned out right, every life might have been saved, but they all went against her. A classic Greek tragedy. And I think that like really captures um the emotional weight and appeal of like this yeah. particular disaster movie so um i couldn't help but like think about what watching this movie um was like about like sort of the disaster movie genre because I, mm-hmm. I was thinking to myself like how um like was this like the one of the first disaster movies like it's so many like yeah. kind of uh cliches i think are in this movie um You've got, um, uh, let's see here. You have like sort of the obstinate people who like resist 
things. Like they don't want to like mm-hmm. go along with things. They don't want to like uh, give up a room or like uh, break down like class barriers by doing something to save their own lives. You have like people right. who are loyal to a fault who are not who are not going to get off a boat because they're not going to leave their husband or something like that. Uh, you mm-hmm. have like people who are utterly selfish who are going to like push and grind their way to save themselves. Um, that sense of fear. You kind of mm-hmm. like sort of like anonymous death happening in the background that's sort of just like kind of filler um and just like yeah the mass loss of death uh there's like an inevitability of it all um and so like i I was looking through a list of like disaster movies because like the disaster movie like genre really kicked up in the 70s and became sort of its own thing for a while so i mean like Mm -hmm. uh there's like scenes like that in this movie that like i see kind of being reused in like something like the poseidon adventure Mm-hmm. which is like more of like an even crazier situation where a ship is actually completely upside down. And right. so it's had its own like sort of um, technical figure, like ways of figuring out like how to do that and have actors uh, kind of experiencing this while not mm-hmm. also killing them. But um, like with, the, with something with the Poseidon adventure, there's no like, I don't know to me when I think about that movie, which I watched like not that long ago, I never really was like, moved in any way i wasn't like really mm-hmm. like ever like oh man but like with something like the titanic it's like no this actually happened and like mm-hmm. the, the the significant thing with the walter lord book was that i mean it's like kind of like a docudrama style of writing which like right. he actually spoke to survivors and like he laid out the way these things worked like those other titanic movies mm-hmm. um, that like kind of pre-existed they were fictionalized accounts and i mean they weren't like particularly well researched like that 1953 one i mean it was mm-hmm. more about just like these uh people who were like in love on the boat and then they get off kind of thing like it wasn't like it's just like inconvenient they're right. on the boat it wasn't trying to lay out like kind of a minute by minute like recreation of like what happened and mm-hmm. like uh with like these sort of uh uh turning points within the narrative um so this movie looks really really nice um mm-hmm. like the the movie like really won me over kind of in the first like the actually the opening credits which is like kind of shot like it's yeah. it's kind of like so you're watching the sea level going up and down and like mm-hmm. i could only imagine watching this movie in a theater because <laughs> like it, i was yeah, like kind, yeah. i was like actually kind of getting seasick watching it like at home on my tv like and i, mm-hmm. I don't get seasick i don't like feel, like get really queasy but i was like watching this because there's like a real beauty in like um the surface of like water on uh, like kind of mm-hmm. like that ocean water water and especially when it's been black and white um because the the black ocean shots were awesome yeah yeah and uh those were i guess were just shot on a lake um because they uh because that was like one of those as a pinewood studio uh shoot which i think like probably the vast majority of like british productions were probably shot at pinewood like your hammer horror stuff and whatnot Mm -hmm. um but like yeah this movie like the the water tanks they had uh at pinewood were too small so they actually shot it like a lot of their outdoor stuff like once the sink actually uh, the ship actually sinks like on this Mm -hmm. like like lake in like november at two in the morning or something like that and so it was really cold which is actually one thing that um i think the movie doesn't actually get really well like compared to the cameron movie was the coldness um right i watched the making of um uh, the making of a night to remember a uh, little documentary that was made in 1993. Um, mm-hmm. It's actually, it's not a predict- it's not a very good documentary. It's like an hour long, but there's like the one thing that like is of note is that it's got this footage of like the actors who were on top of that uh, upside down lifeboat. Um, mm-hmm. And they're just like passing a bucket around and dumping it on themselves. Like they're like, they're, they're making themselves look wet for this wet. movie. And it's just like, Oh, yeah. what a, what an unpleasant shooting experience that would be. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so, yeah, I mean, I've been talking a lot here, 
But uh, you, RJ, what did you think of Chatty this movie? Kathy. Yeah, I know. Um, I went in thinking this was going to be super fucking boring. Yeah. But uh, it was actually really good. Yeah. Um, and I the whole time I was just like, could you imagine if this happened in real life? Um, no, yeah. Uh, this movie totally surprised me. Uh, yeah. It was really good. Um, I became really invested in all the characters like um like you were saying like with how how it gets you to like sympathize with the characters like there's real consequences for them like uh you see like a young couple who is basically like the proto uh proto kate and or like uh, Leo rose and, and, rose and jack <laughs> rose and jack yeah the proto rose and jack like you see them and like how they're like moving through and like he's telling her to get on the boat but she won't go on the boat and then your uh your uh engineer guys like when you get in the water swim away from the boat and stuff like that and like they're basically kate and jack and then like so the whole time you see like they're kind of the lady's kind of being stubborn and doesn't want to leave him. And then they're in the water and then the huge like pipe just falls on them. So it's like, it's like it built up these characters and then it's like, Oh yeah, they died. Mm -hmm. And then there's like another character where like you were saying, like how, how it's real, like they're evacuating all the people. And then near the end, like a little kid comes out onto the deck and he's just like by himself and and then you're just like holy yeah. shit and like an old guy tries to save him and then they mm-hmm. pull him out of the water and then like the little kid is dead and then the whole screen just kind of fades to black mm-hmm. and then it when it comes back all you see is like a little white dot in the distance which is like the overturned boat like i thought that was really effective in like making you care basically like and it's like you said it does a good job of like like without even like putting it on you it's like this really fucking happened like yeah. i think the weight of that hits you in scenes like that but yeah. um no yeah i thought this movie was really good like like you said um the opening kind of uh wowed me like there's a shot like i think the opening shot is like just a mass of people that were like seeing the boat off right and then and then it's like once it's on the water like they do mix in like some actual footage of it which i thought was super cool mm-hmm. um yeah, the the time thing I thought was really good, like how it happens like so soon in the movie. Yeah. Uh, so here I'm going to get into some just individual elements I liked. But yeah. one thing I, I think the reason I really liked this movie was um, it kind of showed I thought it was funny. It kind of showed like a difference between like British filmmaking and then what would eventually come from a Canadian American filmmaker. <laughs> yeah. Uh, was that this movie? Um it was like straight business. There was no bullshit to it. Like they got to the point. There was no like unnecessary like glut of like romance stuff, which like I I get why James Cameron did that. Like it makes it more appealing to a mass audience. I get it. But this one seemed more like like streamlined. Like this is what fucking happened. And even like how the iceberg happened so early on. And then uh, you just kind of see how it would play out like in an actual like ship like that like how it kind of goes down the the lines of workers like do you know what i mean like sure who, like officials and captains like it all seemed very authentic i guess is the word i'm looking for um so i really like that uh so and, a few... and, and the lack of score <laughs> yeah <laughs> like yeah 
like because mm-hmm. like when, it, when the movie started, like I kept like I was having like I've only, like I said I've only seen like James Cameron's Titanic the one time, but I mm-hmm. still remember like that score, like the the Howard Shore is Howard mm-hmm. Shore or uh, maybe. Yeah, oh, James Horner. James, James okay. Horner did the score. Um, and, like, just, like, how, like, that's, like, part of, probably one of the bigger parts of the success of that movie was, like, the mm-hmm. music. Um, and, um, th- like, this movie doesn't use any music. It's all, like, subtle, and you get the sound mm-hmm. effects of, like, what's happening and the people and whatnot. You're not being emotionally led anywhere at all. And it's just, like, this is, like, it's, it's more, uh, like, a factual reporting, which I guess, like, I associate with sort of, like, a... Uh, a certain Britishness in its character, which right. like, yeah, kind of plays to what you were kind of going with there. So yeah, that's what I mean. Like when you watch this movie, like it feels real, like it's authentic, mm-hmm. like the way it plays out, just the interactions with people. And like, I don't know, there's just really cool stuff in it. Like I remember there's one scene, like when they first have an incident and it goes to like the uh, empty dining room and there's like a drink yeah. cart. And it just kind of like moves a little bit. And that's like the whole scene. And then later again, it's like the drink cart, like moving around. Like, I don't know. I thought stuff like that was really cool. Yeah. Um, but anyways, I have some individual things, individual notes that I, uh, things I, that either I really liked or I thought were really weird. Okay. So the first one, when, uh, it shows like all the people like eating and like dinner before they hit the, uh, before they hit the iceberg, okay. um, there's a lady and she is salting cantaloupe. And I thought that was really fucking weird. And I've <laughs> never seen a person salt a melon before. I don't know if this is a real thing. Have you ever salted a melon? Okay. So here's the funny thing. So uh, uh, the girlfriend, Chanel, she has a name. Mm-hmm. She uh, kind of like got drugged. She kind of got drawn in by this one. Um, generally, mm-hmm. I've been watching these movies like while she's been at work. Um, mm-hmm. And then this one, I was just watching in the afternoon. She's off. And she, she kind of like poked her head in. And she actually sat down. Um, and she was like really getting drawn in by like the costumes the cinematography um mm-hmm. she's a big like mark for uh poor irish people <laughs> yeah <laughs> i don't know okay. she, so she likes her angela's ashes type of stuff and like just like mm-hmm. i don't know her, her one of her concerns is um class as a thing and so mm-hmm. obviously the criterion collections like plays right into that because i mean that comes up a lot in their movies um oh, that they yeah. that they're uh, curating um but yeah she t- totally mentioned the thing about the cantaloupe and the salting of it see because like it's, I, it's I, fucking bizarre i, I kind of like I, I didn't register that bit so much but i mean i've seen like uh people put like sugar on their fruit and so i'm like well was that mm-hmm. salt or was it sugar but i guess like if it was in a salt shaker i mean it was salt but i, I didn't really like mm-hmm. see it i didn't go back to investigate it but she uh mentioned her one of her uh things that she pointed out was um there's like the little icebergs that are called growlers yeah uh but mm-hmm. she she had to mention that apparently nowadays when uh grizzly bears and polar bears mate those are called growlers um so what okay <laughs> so and then but she, she said this and i was like huh so I had this image of little like grizzly polar bear hybrids uh swimming against the ship trying to claw their way in oh that's sad oh poor little growlers poor growlers well um i'm glad that's a nice piece of a tidbit of trivia mm-hmm. i guess for the growlers but um i'm glad someone else noticed because i I was really like taken aback. I was like, what the fuck is that lady doing putting salt on a cantaloupe? That's super bizarre. Yeah. Um, okay. So anyways, moving on. I thought it was um, super, super disappointing that uh, all the coal shovelers weren't like 
super ripped buff dudes with like no shirts but like overalls with one strap on just shoveling the coal like in the engine rooms do you know what i mean yes so that was disappointing i think james cameron got that right in his movie i think those are all like buff dudes with lots of muscles um hot there was abs. A, hot abs yeah i guess you could say that um i didn't bring it up that time in case yeah. anyone's keeping track uh, there was an expression I've never heard before where the captain said, keep your eyes skinned. He said, keep your eyes skinned for icebergs. Yep. And I've never heard that before. And I thought that was pretty grisly, a little ghoulish. That's that's, that's pretty old timey. That's a little old timey. I, I bet yeah. you if you were a grandpa, you would have heard that one all the time. All the time. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. Um, later on when they're evacuating people, there is a, a lady who's a, a bunch of furs and they're like real life dead animals just like mm. like so many like at least 20 of them and i was i was really upset that that lady got on one of the lifeboats i wanted to see her floating in the water so that sucked uh okay so my favorite part of this movie jerry yeah my absolute favorite part uh and somewhat uh somewhat speaking to my character if i was in a situation like this mm-hmm. i thought it was super cool how the baker as soon as the ship's going down, he's like super nonchalant. People are like panicking and they're like, how do we get out of here? He's like, all roads lead to Rome. And they're like, what? And he's like super weird. And then it shows him go back to his room and he pulls out a bottle of scotch and he just starts drinking it. Yeah. And then like 25 minutes later, it goes to another scene of him and he like puts his legs up and he's like still drinking the bottle. And then later you see him, he's like out on the deck walking around drunk and he's throwing like chairs into the water, like yeah. throwing furniture for flotation. And you're, and then uh, later in, he's like floating in the water and he gets up on that upton- upturned boat and then he's okay. And uh, apparently that was a real fucking guy. He did survive the Titanic yeah, no, I know. and that was his account of it. Yes. And I, so I didn't know that at the time, uh, but the whole time watching it, I was like, this guy's my favorite character in any movie I've ever seen. Just cause like when everything's going really bad, he's just like, well, okay. And then he just gets really drunk and then he, he goes and he, and well, he, he, which is selfish, I guess he gets drunk, but then he goes up to the deck and starts trying to help people and he just throws shit off and, I don't know. Um, my point is, not all heroes wear capes, Jared. So True I thought words. that guy was fucking awesome. He was my favorite part of the whole movie. Wow. Um, other other good things. They show the class difference really good, like in subtle ways, like uh, yeah. how um the boat crew is like alerting the people that the ship is sinking. Like mm-hmm. one guy goes into the first class and tells them very nicely, and then it goes to like the lower deck, and they're just like banging on doors. They're like, everybody, wake up. um that was cool uh i don't know i think i was surprised by this movie because it's very like i took it like very pessimistically like i don't know it's one of those arrogance of man movies i guess well yeah Uh, i think i had here written down i was going to ask like rj so what do you what do you think about hubris (laughs) yeah exactly (laughs) right Um, i mean they don't really play that up too too much like this whole idea of like this ship shall never be sunk and then it sinks like they they don't don't play that too much like there's the bit with like the um the posh asshole with his wife yeah. when they're writing the carriage with the second mm-hmm. officer right at the beginning. Um, mm-hmm. And like, cause the, he's has, he has a problem like distinguishing, like criticizing like an ad about something. And he thinks it's a criticism of like what's in the ad. And I mean, mm-hmm. I, that's like a characteristic of human human, if a human being that like still lives to this 
time. Like oh, yeah. people still like you can't make fun of something. It's like well, it's offensive. Like it's like yeah, okay, dude. And it's like well, mm-hmm. I mean, in this particular point, it was like the second officer kind of got away with it because he actually was like a part of the like crew of the ship. Yeah. Uh, and but it's like well, if I, you or I were doing that, the guy would be still like pissy. Mm-hmm. And it's like yeah, that that old uh, idea of like yeah, the class system in England and stuff like that. It's just like mm-hmm. ah yeah that. Um, yeah, how easily they changed their tune. Yeah. But um, no, yeah, I liked all that stuff. And I, as you know, I, I just liked it showing how shitty people were, where there's like, there's guys like jumping in the boats and like causing other people to fall off. And then oh, there's dudes man. dressed up like women and just shitty people being shitty. And yeah. uh, not, well, I, didn't, like, I didn't mean I love that. Yeah. It's just that's how I view people. So I feel like that's very authentic. Yeah. Well, there's like, um, like the whole bit, like once the uh, the actual ship is now like, is practically vertical, which yeah. apparently is an exaggeration. Um, like I guess, like some some dudes said, well, actually, it was probably at about a ten degree angle, which would still create mm-hmm. the same effect, but it doesn't. It, it's not as dramatic. But uh, yeah. but I mean, people didn't even know that the ship split in half until they actually found it at the bottom of the ocean. Um, mm-hmm. It was, uh, but so we don't actually see that in this movie, which is kind mm-hmm. of one of those like probably those images I really remember from the camera movie. But um, yeah, yeah. Uh, that, that's another thing too. All oh. the similarities with the Cameron movie. Do you yeah. have a list of that? No, I. I mean, okay. If someone wants to like kind of take a look at uh, similarities, the the Red Letter Media uh, Mr. Mm-hmm. Plinkett review of Titanic is your friend. Um, they do oh, yeah. a, they do a pretty good job of ex- talking about that movie. I actually watched it because I was I thought about rewatching the Cameron movie, but number one, I don't have a copy, and number two, mm-hmm. that movie's very long. Um, it feels yeah. it feels like I could probably watch like some Hellraiser movies instead. That's kind of how it comes down to mm-hmm. um uh, i i watched like i saw like a trailer again for like the cameron tr- uh titanic movie and like mm-hmm. maybe is the music video um and it was just like looking at the footage of that and it's like this doesn't look very good like some of like those outdoor sunny scenes of like the ship on the ocean look particularly mm-hmm. cruddy but when i was watching the mr plinkett review using the footage of like when the ship collapses it actually looks really good still um yeah, so i'm not sure if it's like the difference of like the, the like a music video is using like early like the the first run cgi stuff it's like using the trailers and not the actual like movie footage and yeah. that could be explained sort of the weird drop in quality but i'd have to watch the movie again and i don't know mm-hmm. maybe like actually it'll probably happen the week when i do i watch all of james cameron movies again and watch them all in yeah. order that that's more likely to happen and then i guess i will watch it so one day down mm-hmm. the road that will be in the cards but i was going to say when so when the ship is like at its vertical tilt and then you have all the people climbing up like just like desperate animals i love yeah. that image i mean it's such a dark horrifying image um Mm -hmm. because it's like it doesn't matter if you're rich or poor or what you are it's like the the urge to survive and like will trump like you trampling over people Right. Um, and there's like a bit, there's like that little window of humanity there where like the old man's holding onto the boy and saying, mm-hmm. don't step on us. Like it's a boy or whatever, but like, just like that desperation. Um, it's actually like, I think about, there's like the one scene in uh Darren Aronofsky's Noah movie. Um, like oh, the, yeah. the, the only thing I really remember about that movie anymore is, um, after the flood happens, spoilers, <laughs> um, when, when the ship is like kind of going around there's this like kind of montage of just like these mountains of human beings Mm -hmm. that have like been erected and it's just like that is like terrifying like Mm -hmm. that's just like monstrous but it's like yeah like that that is what would happen because uh despite all our rage 
RJ, we're, we're just rats in cages or we're trying you told to them, Billy, <laughs> we're, we're Billy, <laughs> Billy, Gorgon. Billy Gorgon. Yeah. Um, yeah. So there's that thing. Um, the mm-hmm. other, like I'm thinking back to of like the, um, um, sort of like a reference point for history. Have you ever seen United 93? No, I, uh, I can gladly say I have never seen that. Movie. Well, okay. I don't know if you're, I don't know if you know what movie I'm talking about per se, but it's the movie about the plane that is hijacked mm-hmm. that gets, oh, that, that crashes in that movie. It mm-hmm. is like, it's an amazing movie. It might be like one of the best movies ever made kind of things, but boy, mm-hmm. I have no urge to watch that movie again. Cause it's so, it's too hard to watch. Um, Are you being serious? Yeah. Is this actually a good movie? Yeah, yes. One, I'm not kidding. I'm not. It's not World Trade Center. See, I, I think like, I don't know. Okay. There's this vibe maybe around Which like- Which one's these, the Oliver Stone one? That is World Trade Center with Nicolas okay. Cage and like Jesus with a bottle of water kind of shit. Mm-hmm. No. Okay, you, so what's the vibe? So, okay. There's this like weird air around like maybe like 9-11 is like these movies that like people kind of like go, why would I watch that? That you mm-hmm. that you kind of just had too. But no, because so like United 93 is directed by Paul Greengrass. Um, okay. So the movie is like this, like real, like I don't know. It's a, it plays like a thriller and it's a drama. It's handheld and it's about like this. I mean, it's an ill-fated flight. Um, and you, and you know, watching it, there's like the dramatic irony. You know what's going to happen. It doesn't matter what decisions they make. What's going to, you know, they're all going to die. And there's mm-hmm. like basically, I mean, it's like a, I mean, they based it on like the information that exists. Um, and they i mean it's brutal it's such a heart-wrenching movie to watch the idea of like when i think about that movie that's probably one of the toughest movies i've ever seen um Mm -hmm. there was like a tv movie that was made called flight 93 and i mean that probably is like there's like a thing that's the one i'm thinking of probably probably i mean like and like i don't blame someone for not like going out of their way to watch united 93 i mean i had no inclination to watch that movie for a while there because you always have this feeling that's like this is just going to be like raw raw propaganda like it'll be like a 1943 uh nazi propaganda film called titanic where the pilot is Mm -hmm. a german or whatever it's like you're just going to be you're going to be a little squirmy and kind of like what is this? Um, but no, the movie is just like amazing. And like part of the power of it is just like the, that relation you get with what's going to happen. I mean, there's right. a, there's a big jump between like the filmmaking technique of like, um, a night to remember and United 93 though. I mean, obviously the, the, the Paul Greengrass kind of has like, uh, I guess you could argue ma- mastered that sort of like handheld look, the cinema verte feel. Whereas like, this mm-hmm. is like a British production of this movie and it's like, a lot, it's somber and like very matter of factly presented. Um, because mm-hmm. that's, how, that's how movies were made at that point. But I mean, it's like the, the editing and like production craft made in that movie to like recreate that, like as mm-hmm. realistically as possible at that time. It's pretty, pretty stinking amazing. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yeah, I agree with you. So, uh, uh, another note here to myself to ask you: uh, What did you think of uh, Kathy Bates' performance here in A Night to Remember? Oh my god! Did, did you not have um, that exact feeling? Like, wait, that's Kathy Bates' character. It is. It is like, <laughs> is that her mom or something? Yeah. Because like, um, that that's the most dead-on ca- like recasting I've ever seen in my entire life. Like oh, yeah. that is, it's absolutely <laughs> Kathy Bates. Like if I had watched that movie and I was making it in 98, like James Cameron, I'd be like, holy fuck, we got to get Kathy Bates for this yeah. thing. Like right now. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's absolutely, it's crazy. That's fucking Kathy Bates. Oh yeah. Absolutely. It's nuts. It, yeah. It's just like, nuts. it's, it's off putting. Um, mm-hmm. 
so I also uh, wanted to mention, because we haven't actually talked about uh, our director whose name I continue to struggle pronouncing. Um, Roro? Yeah, old Roro. So Roro, oh, see, Roy Ward Ooh. Baker, Ooh. born in 1916, uh, died in 2010. Um so he would, I mean, this is going to sound mean, but he's probably the first, I guess, undistinguished director in the uh, Criterion Creep. Because, mm-hmm. um, I mean, so far we've had uh, Renoir, Kurosawa, Hitchcock, Fellini, Truffaut, Cocteau, and now Baker. Roro? Yeah. Yeah, old Roro himself. Um, but, you know, so I saw that name and I was like, that name sounds kind of familiar. Like I've typed it in before for some reason um, right. or some sort of different context. And I had, and well, okay, first of all, um, I mean, I'm not going to get too much into his, uh, like filmography just yet, but, um, one of the things that he was responsible for is he was the assistant director on the lady vanishes. Oh, okay. (laughs) Yeah. Which is something I did not know. No, I didn't know that either. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, he was just like a workman, uh, director. I mean. I don't know mm-hmm. if he's anything particular to distinguish about his like uh, like visual style, other than like presenting the facts. Um, mm-hmm. But RJ, are you aware of his uh, filmography starting in the '60s and on? I am, and uh, <laughs> it is actually because I have uh, a couple of his movies are in my current Halloween watch list. That's right. That because he- yeah, because Roy Ward Baker uh, would go on to. Uh, kind of cut his teeth on some uh horror some hammer horror mm-hmm. and some other uh, br- and some other like a uh, uh good old-fashioned uh british horror films i guess like the first yeah. one that popped up was quadramass in the pit which actually i just mm-hmm. watched a few months ago for the first time uh mm-hmm. the vampire lovers scars oh, yeah. of dracula Dr. Jekyll and Sister Hyde, uh, mm-hmm. the anthology films Asylum, Vault of Horror, and then uh, even such films as Legend of the Seven Golden Vampires, and the one film I definitely know is on your list, Monster Club, which I think is Talking along right. with Scars of Dracula. So yeah, um, yeah, it's like sort of wacky. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I did not really expect that. Um, and like, you wouldn't know it. Like, I mean, I've seen a couple of those movies, but like I said, like there's nothing that like, it's like he's like um, a super stylish director or anything, but um, yeah. I mean, he but, he's got chops. He knows what he's doing. He, he's got some pretty serious cred, like yeah. or not serious, but he's got a pretty solid um, library of movies. Like, like I haven't seen a lot of these, but I recognize almost all of them, like all the Hammer yeah. ones at least. And um, right. yeah, like you said, um, Scars of Dracula is the next up for me for uh, the the Hammer Dracula. So that's this year, and then uh, Monster Club. Um, that was filling a uh, essential quota I like to have on all my Halloween lists. Um, where I like to have at least five Christopher Lee movies in there. And uh, I can continue doing that now until one day I've watched them all, I guess. And then it won't be five anymore. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, Monster Club's in there, which sounds really cool. Um, that's actually the first on my list. Um, just sounds like good quality fun. So yeah, no, um, all his Hammer movies, like like Quartermass and Vampire Lovers and stuff, Dr. Jekyll, Sister High, like I've heard about all of those. So um, and they all seem like they have pretty fair reviews or ratings. So he seems like a pretty solid dude. Yeah, absolutely. Pretty um, solid dude. Yeah. Oh, so uh, I, I was looking up the name of the that airline flight that crashed that I was like struggling with. A Malaysia Airlines Flight 370. 
of which uh, oh, okay. I think when you type it into Google, uh, one of the suggestions is Malaysia Airline Flight 370 Conspiracy, because um, that's what we do now mm-hmm. in the 21st century. But, you know, speaking of the 21st century, do you remember uh, that period of time uh, the, during the 100th anniversary of the Titanic sinking uh, mm-hmm. that like there was like all these like Twitter posts from kids saying that they thought it was just a movie? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I do remember that. But um, uh RJ, do you also remember Coney twenty twelve? Yeah, I do remember Coney twenty twelve. <laughs> uh it didn't really do anything. No, uh That's other like than them. other than one of the guys uh he was uh down in Los Angeles on a street corner naked slapping pavement uh mm-hmm. out of his mind. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No a lot of those things uh splash in the pond, Jarrett. Yeah. Just a splash in the pond. Um, I also I recommend to uh, Creeps listeners, uh, if you want to kind of get depressed and a little sad, um, well, check out the Wikipedia uh, Wikipedia page entry on the animals aboard the Titanic when it sank. Oh, no. Yeah, there's a, entire, there's a little page uh, all about the a list of the names of the animals they knew were definitely on the ship. Uh, three dogs survived, uh, RJ. Oh, um, however, I don't want to hear this. However, however, Jenny the ship cat perished jared but you know really? you, hey you know what will cheer you up what looking up ship cats on wikipedia ship cats uh, are oh i'll don't worry folks if you just just uh follow us on instagram and i'll uh i'll spread the the the, the cheer okay it better be good stuff or else i'm quitting the podcast oh buddy it's ship cats you can't go wrong with ship cats Okay. Um, I guess I had one little final note here I was going to talk about. Um, so in 1976, uh, Clive Kussler wrote a book called Clive Kussler, Clive Kussler, yeah. um, raising the Titanic. Um, it was made into a movie in 1980. Um, and it's about, uh, how to get like, so it's like one of the stories that was like talking, like people wanted to salvage the Titanic. Mm-hmm like for like a long time and i guess like the the gimmick in this movie in this book was that there's exotic metals aboard um exotic <laughs> yeah exotic metals uh so but people yeah. are trying to figure out a way to like r- r- lift it right find it and then raise it up um but this oh. actually turned into like legitimacy like people actually were like doing the like this stuff then one of the ideas mm-hmm. was to use ping pong balls um, oh my God. Which, which which neglected the factor in the fact that like these things would be crushed at the pressure of twelve thousand feet. <laughs> um, is serious? Serious. These are serious like propositions made. We're, this is because these, these we, this this was before um, like they had actually found the wreck and, and didn't realize because mm-hmm. everyone thought it was intact like one giant ship, but they were like, yeah, I know we can just get it all. <laughs> you might as well tie a bunch of balloons to it um, at that depth. Well, or that, fill I, it with I, Mars bars. I, I think that might have been one of the ideas of raising the Titanic is to use a giant bal- like a ballooning or something like that. Um, Oh, that movie didn't do well. It was like a huge bomb. Um, apparently, it's got a it's got a really good John Barry score though, um, one of the uh-huh. best of his career. Uh, one of the other ideas okay. to raise the Titanic legit uh, was the the idea of pumping one hundred and eighty thousand pounds of molten wax 
that's Vaseline, folks, into the ship, and then like because Why? it's because it's oil or whatever, and it would raise to the surface with enough of it. Um, Good. Uh, one, if you also want, you could uh, read up on uh, this like Texan oil man guy named Jack Grimm. Uh, he staged mm-hmm. expeditions from for everything from like the Titanic to Noah's Ark to uh, <laughs> Loch Ness monster, Bigfoot, and also looking for a giant hole in the North Pole as it relates to the Hollow Earth theory. Okay, um, so all those other ones, yeah, whatever. Like, I can understand where people would go look because there's like been sightings in areas and stuff like that. Yeah, but where the fuck was he looking for Noah's Ark? Uh, just like it, it was just him walking around like Detroit. Like it's not here. I guess I'll go <laughs> somewhere else. Yeah, I I don't know somewhere in Bible times. I guess the Bible lands. That guy sucks. Yeah. Or maybe he's awesome. I don't know. I, I don't know. I guess it's like, it's his money. He can do with it whatever he wants. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Yeah. Well, uh, do you have any other parting thoughts? No, I think I'm about spent. Uh, yeah, this movie is good. It's yeah. a lot better than I thought it would be. So. Yeah, no, it was definitely like, um, I think for like early on here for the the criterion stuff i was kind of like oh i don't know if i really care about this but uh yeah good solid Mm -hmm. directing and uh filmmaking techniques win the day as they often do yeah yeah Yeah, i liked it quite a bit yeah it's gooder all right well after the break we will uh i don't know talk some more i guess sure Show in the can, RJ, making your farting sounds. Yeah, that's uh, quality broadcasting. Yeah. And uh, if you want to stick with us or really are invested in our day-to-day lives, you can follow us on Twitter at Criterion Creeps. You can email us your thoughts, feelings at CriterionCreeps at gmail.com. And we might even check it out sometimes. Um, No, but seriously, if you have uh, any, like, thoughts or writings or something about uh, movies we're going to be talking about down the road or movies that we've talked about already please send mm-hmm. them we would love to read them yeah We'd and like to- as you as you said in the last episode it's all numbered so you know what we're gonna do next yeah you can jump the jump ahead yeah yeah i know it's yeah if you've got some thought about you know spine number 39 you can uh send that email and we'll we'll save it in a special place and uh we'll read it here on the cast mm-hmm mm-hmm but let's not forget, we have a Facebook page. 
we got a Tumblr. We're on Instagram. We're pretty active there on the Instagram. It's a lot of fun. Uh, mm-hmm. Love taking stuff. That's that's that leads to some confusing things. Um, I posted some stuff about uh, White Comanche the other day with uh, William Shatner's hot abs, and I was like, oh, yeah. oh, let's take a look at the hashtag hot abs, and I'm like, oh, I I guess I'm a gay man now. <laughs> Well, that was always up in the air, so yeah. for both of us, Whoops. hot abs aside. Yeah. Well, you learn something every day. Yeah. Um, well, that's that's Instagram for you. Yeah, and uh, yeah, if you want to like get a play-by-play on what we're watching when we watch it, we're both on Letterboxd. I'm Jared Duncan mm-hmm. on there. Uh, RJ, there's Barnloaf. Mm-hmm. Exactly like yeah. it sounds. And yeah, as far as uh, the old uh, podcast end of the business, we're on SoundCloud, which you probably know. We're on Stitcher mm-hmm. or on iTunes. Please subscribe. And I guess uh, from what I hear from all those other podcasts that we uh, listen to, it seems really important to get people rating our shows on the iTunes and do it because it apparently helps. And I don't know how it helps, um, Mm -hmm. but I guess it doesn't hurt. I think it garners attention of like the moderators or something, but I'll just add in the uh, spiel here. If you can, if you do like the show, go ahead and leave us a review. And maybe if you don't like the show, go ahead and leave us a review. We might even read them on on air. Oh, 100% we'll read them on air. Also, send us your R.L. Stein-influenced pictures of you and your beloved other eating bananas. Maybe we'll share that on the air, too, for the listeners. Yeah, if you have embarrassing pictures of your parents uh, that you want to share with a wider audience, we'll take those, too. Take the creeps. We're going to keep it creeping, (laughs) I guess. Mm -hmm. But uh, next week, RJ, we are heading into new territory. We're going to a new land. We're going to uh-huh. we're going to China, Hong Kong, China. Hong Kong. Oh, yeah! Like actually, this will be Holy like the the, fir- the closest to our timeline as we've come. Uh, Nineteen, mm-hmm. yeah, in the late eighties, early nineties. Because we are watching two movies, two movies in Double one episode. Books. That's right. We're going to kill number eight and number nine in one go because we're ambitious that way, and mm-hmm. we figure it fits because we're talking John Woo, John Woo. John Woo, John Woo. That's right. We're going to be talking The Killer, and we're going to be talking Hard Boiled. Things are going to get gun heavy because, I don't know, there hasn't been a lot of guns so far. Not yet, but there's going to be more guns than your body has room for in the next episode. Yeah, and then our bodies are going to explode into bloody squibs all across faces and and babies peeing Mm -hmm. and, uh, yeah. Just how we like it. Blinded pop Mm -hmm. star sensations and... It's going to be a doozy. Oh, yeah. So please. Are you ready? Uh, yeah. Um, I'm, I'm so Is ready. Is your body ready? Yeah. Is your body ready? Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I'm ready to rock. So. All right. See you next time. Peace. Creep it real. Woo. Hey, creepers. This is Jared back again. So in all the hot action of our review of A Night to Remember, I forgot to pay off the promising tease from last week's episode on the secret connection between Jean Cocteau's Beauty and the Beast and A Night to Remember. Well, I wouldn't want to be an unprofessional son of a bitch and not deliver as advertised, so here it is, the secret connection between those two films. Both films, latter-day 1990s retellings of their subject matter, that is, Beauty and the Beast and Titanic, would have their featured songs sung by none other than French-Canadian singing sensation Celine Dion. Celine Dion, ladies and gents. Celine Dion. A secret best left forgotten, maybe. 
and it's not really a secret. Anyway, I got that off my chest. I'm going back to my couch to eat some chips and watch some Hellraiser movies. So you just keep on creeping. <laughs>